If you want it, baby, I can show ya. If you want it, I can get to know ya. If you want it, baby, I can show ya. If you want it, baby, I can show ya. Let me explain as I'm taking it off. Let me explain how I feel about us. If you want it, baby, I can show ya. I can show ya. Okay, another episode of Sperm Nation World, and I'm pretty excited today. We've got like a what you people would describe perhaps as a shaman or a messiah or a harmonizer. Depends on where you are on this planet, I guess, and how you how you uh, digest it all, or you know what spirituality or you know it's just fascinating. Anyway, welcome to the show, David Thank Starlight. <laughs> Thank you so much, Adam. I'm just laughing at that description. It was great. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if it was good or great. I don't know. It's probably pretty poor. I probably, you probably deserve better, but <laughs> Messiah probably deserves better. Um, but anyway, you you grew up in uh, South Africa and you've been in Australia for 20 years now. You joined Sperm Nation Australia almost, this is almost your fourth year anniversary, actually. You joined in the 1st of April, 2019. And well, it's nearly April now, 2023. So you know, you've been you've been around. You've probably observed, and you've obviously a busy man. I'm, I'm looking at your credentials that you've um, you've achieved. You've done a lot of research and study, and uh, it looks like you're always continuing expanding on that as well. Yeah, one's got to keep on the journey, otherwise life will just stop. So you're always just adding experiences as as the years go by, and it starts to once you hit about thirty, and then you're like, oh, I've done all of this. And then before you know it, you're, you're hitting 40. So that's just the journey of life. Yeah, so absolutely, Adam. I've been here a few years. I've been around the block a bit, traveled around Australia, worked in different environments, different interests. Um, definitely coming at it from a little bit of a different angle as someone who comes from a different country, but uh, also someone who's very global and has a sort of global perspective having traveled and worked in, in so many different countries yeah it's, it's fascinating i mean look how did you start getting on this this particular journey i think these journeys kind of choose you more than you choose them but i'm just thinking back um i think I, there was a bit of an ayahuasca experience but i i was traveling uh quite early on so so in my early 20s i was already traveling so i was already exploring the world and 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 seeing what I I was here to do. So there was there were there were certain things that I think I looking back, I think, oh September 11 was like this strange, surreal experience where something was going on in the world and no one could quite put their finger on it. And everyone was in in the state of disbelief. And after that I, I kind of lost my job. So there was this link with the economy kind of crash in that period. I'm not sure what is happening in Australia, but in in developing in the developing world, there, there was a lot of uh, craziness and chaos, and so then I kind of lost my job. So I always kind of thought, oh, September 11, that led me to lose my job, and then then I was just like, what do I do? And so I ended up exploring sort of a more sort of um, monastic path, and it was just kind of like the economy's shite. My friends in London were like, there are no jobs here, so I just ended up studying, and it was like almost accidental it wasn't like i didn't feel like i had that many choices and i was like oh i'm, I'm just going to get into this so i was studying a bit and praying a lot and having this relationship with god or this non-relationship 
this intellectual relationship and then like is getting a bit more emotional and and so I I, I sort of experienced it at different levels this this idea of spirituality and it can definitely be um well definitely with with things I've studied like Buddhism it can be quite a, a sort of dry philosophical academic pursuit which which I do enjoy and for you know the other extreme is just pure emotion so I think I'm able to navigate through through different worlds and 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 experience um, very much someone who experiences the world ex- experientially who lives experientially basically. It's it's fascinating. I mean, were you introduced to God from family at a young age growing up, or did that something that you you know continue to stumble across or fall upon? You know, obviously there's different types of religions and and different you know ways of praying and and all that sort of stuff depending on whereabouts you are in the world life but you seem to be open to all sorts of walks of life <laughs> yeah i'm quite an open person definitely you could say that. but yeah absolutely i i grew up uh, i grew up in a bit of a void and not in a religious environment not in a religious family and there was a little bit of an anti-religious stance i would say an anti like just an idea of like either being uh, agnostic or or just we don't really know what's what's out there. Don't worry about that kind of stuff. So because there wasn't much education, perhaps I was more curious. I I would I would say that was the case because if you if you grew grow up with a certain sort of doctrine, like this is how the world is, uh, you can either reject that or embrace it. I guess you could also go through fluctuations fluctuations in your life. But for me. I grew up with with a bit of an absence in that area, so therefore I was kind of seeking it out, I was searching for it. Yeah, you you've done a lot of traveling, and I think you got traveling coming up as well. So we had to, you know, it was it's hard to it was hard to like um, get us in a, in a spot where we're both sitting down to do this, and you know you live a busy lifestyle, so you you're traveling, like you live a pretty much a nomadic lifestyle. Uh, that's probably an ideal trait of, you know, a sperm donor in many respects. You know, you don't have time to sit up and ha- have that traditional family unit, I guess, because your time is so, you know, much spent with these all these causes that you've um, entrenched yourself with. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There is a nomadic element in that, and, and there's a lot of people I've met who, who on that path who, who haven't grown up in, in traditional or who haven't. Maybe they grew up in a in a traditional environment, but they're breaking out of that now, and they don't have a, a stable structure or same as people did a hundred years ago. Things things are shifting, and um, people are more wanting to explore themselves and and be be on in a camper van and just be free. So a lot of different pathways, and definitely there there is a that sperm donor. The nomadic sperm daughter without the responsibilities of, of a family. There is that kind of archetype, I guess you could call it. Do you have a camper van? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but I do have a very comfy car, so there's a good good space in the back there. I mean, uh, it's you know, you see a lot of um Instagram accounts now and people who are wanting to represent spirituality and seems like it's a it's a prerequisite you know like you have to have a camper van to uh <laughs> to, to, to do it like 
some people do set up the camper vans and yeah just go from wherever they feel their their calling is been on many journeys how do you in 2019 you joined sperm donation australia mean, where did you where did you come up with the concept or the idea of i could be a donor or what you know where was that trigger or train of thought that first came into your mind about this obviously you established that the traditional family wasn't the way but yeah where did that fall into place that that dominoes i reckon it was because my sister got ivf and my sister had a donor so i i think that that I think that planted the seed. That was when I first got the idea, and I was like, "Oh, well, maybe I should do this, or maybe I can do this. Is it is it an option?" So, I think my sister going on that on that IVF journey, I think that kind of planted a seed. But it was also like feeling, "Well, I'm single, I'm kind of free. Um, how can I contribute to the world? Is there any is there any way I can contribute to the world?" Um, and finding out there were people who really were very needy or very um, some of them really wanting help, wanting basically sperm, wanting sperm and wanting a family of their own. And it's kind of like the effort that you put out to to be a sperm donor is not, is not that much. But for someone else, it can really mean something. So it was a combination of factors that really kind of got me to that place where well, I'll, I'll do this. And I, and I think if I wasn't single, then I, I wouldn't even have thought of it, to be honest. You know, it was like part of just being single and available. Do you think it takes a level of, you know, strong mental resilience and strength as a as a person to, you know, be strong enough to hand out their, you know, genetic material to, you know, a person that is in need of it? And do you feel that you come with some strong traits that feel would be great to pass on to you know some more humans on this on this planet. Yeah, I I really believe that that sort of a, we're all programmed on a subconscious level to want to keep the species going, and we usually see something in ourselves where we're kind of like, oh, wouldn't that be good to have a progeny to spread the spread this out there? So for me, I guess um, the qualities that I think of in myself are sort of patience and calm and curiosity and this kind of expansiveness you know when you see in my artwork there's a lot of expansion so there, there's different qualities uh, i would guess i'm i'm less i'm definitely less alpha male so i'm more of a sort of i'm more in my feminine or, or more balanced between masculine and feminine call it that way um so there's a little you know because certain women want a very alpha males and women are more interested in someone who's more balanced there's a whole you know whole range of possibilities there with the masculine and feminine and now with all the you know people exploring their sexuality in so many different ways it's really it's really interesting the kind of permutations that people come up with and you're like what um so that's not really my my passion personally but i'm just uh, setting up framing this conversation in, in a sort of um way that that responds to to that question like what can i give to the world because i feel like it's an en energy as well as a sort of dna it's like what what is my vibration what is my energy how would i want to uh you know co you know communicate with the world in 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 terms of my dna so it's a it's a strange you know it's a strange thought really like what's happening with my dna with my genetics with 
how am I connected to them? Because there is a connection. It's funny, like you talk about the balance of some wanting um, men who are alpha and some wanting men who are more in touch with their, their feminine side or more aligned to, you know, relating to them. How does that go in your interactions, do you find, you know, when it comes to interacting with people, especially looking for sperm donors, that sort of, because like it's it's hard to grasp over a, over a keyboard. So it's probably good to have like these face-to-face chats or video calls and all that sort of stuff. But how do you get that feeling straight away from someone that you're like, they're not for me, they're looking for some someone else or do they, you know, do they, they, do they push and prod you to give you, to try and, push for alpha male responses, you know, like, <laughs> what do you think about that? Uh, I would say the answer to that question is like, like in my personal world or not even my personal world, just interacting with people, I do see their responses and I do see their questioning and sometimes people just outright sort of turning away from me or whatever. And I'm like, all right. Um, so I do see people's judgments sometimes, but in terms of people who contact me, uh, usually people who contact me are contacting me because they have a they have an interest they have an interest so they're not they're not interested they're not going to contact me so there's a certain openness already in in the fact that they've reached out um so i i, I wouldn't say that's a major issue in terms of sperm donation but it's an interesting question because like uh where i am there's not a lot of options so i feel like mm, i feel yeah. like um, people don't have a lot of options, so maybe they are looking for an alpha male. So, you know, that's um, then they're probably not contacting me. But once they're contacting me, yeah, I would say they're, they're interested. So you're in far north Queensland, Port Douglas, which I think is 60 kilometres north of Cairns. And, you know, that sounds like you're in like this little tropical paradise out there in far north Queensland is is it is it hard to get to you? Is it hard to access you? Like, how would someone arrange um, a donation with you? Like, would they come out to see you, or would would they want to fly you to them? Or you know, what's been that sort of negotiation experiences in that respect? It, it's it always goes along unique lines. Always a little bit different, and sometimes um, people want to have a video call and they have a lot of questions for me, so they throw a million questions at me. Uh, but in terms of accessibility, there uh, have had people who wanted to stay here, so come on a holiday, and it was like a package deal, like have a holiday and get pregnant. So quite a few of them had that idea. Um, it didn't always pan out because they had they kind of chickened out or had they had second thoughts, so they just sort of disappeared, and I forgot about them. They forgot about me. So there was a, quite a few exchanges where people did have this idea of like holiday vacation, just come into the tropics, spend a month or whatever, a week, you know. Um, but uh, mostly, you know, like the people who really sort of committed, committed, came to me uh, just from Cairns. So a lot, a lot of ladies in the Cairns area, they, they they came to me and approached me. So set up a time and, you know, it's it's reachable from Cairns. But in terms of interstate and people far away, I haven't, I have interacted with some of them, but it was it tended to be kind of, I think, more of a fantasy and more like something didn't quite work out and didn't. I I wasn't the right fit. I wasn't the right person they were looking at. Looking didn't quite work out. Do you feel that some want more connection? As in, like, if 
you're not checking in with them all the time. As you said, you sort of forget about some of them and they forget about you. But is it sort of, could it be the sense of, you know, they might be speaking to someone else who's always actively checking in with them and obviously they want that, they, you know, they want that, uh, well, I wouldn't say connection, but that sort of back and forth feeling. Whereas, yeah. Yeah, well, that's a great question. And I think it's it's part of this, like the connection and, and it's a it's a subliminal element of like how do you sometimes you just have a connection with someone online and it can even be like you barely know them or you never met them in person but you have some kind of rapport with them there's just this they message you you message back you seem to be on the same wavelength so there there is the I think it is a connection that's there or not there or sort of half there half not there. Uh, boundaries can be an issue where people seem a bit more like they want a bit more than just your DNA. They they seem to want more of a relationship or more of a, an emotional quality to it. So I, I've had different interactions with people and it can be really interesting. And sometimes it can be a little bit draining for me when they, they ask a lot of questions and they want to know a lot of things. And it's kind of like, um, you know, get can can get a bit much for me. With emotional connection and boundaries and and all that sort of stuff, do you find that some women may fall in love with you or start expressing, you know, like more partner traits, trying to separate the realisation that you're a donor and not the father or you're like in a, you know, a committed loving relationship with them in, in particular? I think the potential is there, and I haven't experienced that through, you know, this particular forum. I haven't experienced that, but I'd, I'm sure a lot of other people have because it's just humans and humans interacting with each other. And once there's a certain bond, a certain connection, and it becomes physical, then the, the emotional needs come in. So I, I don't know that you can completely separate and completely become completely detached and separate from from people but it is hard if you you know i don't i don't have a lot of sort of progeny call it that pull it that way but if you had like whatever it is a certain 20 30 uh people that you're in contact with is you only have so much time and energy and you can only focus on on one thing at a time you can, can't focus on 20 people at this at the same time so i think there is um you know what it is kind of would separate out you would have less and less time time for that and that, that could be effective but i do think emotions get involved and and it's hard for to to be completely detached it's hard to for emotions not to be involved and, and it'll be interesting if there are any relationships that formed and how that ha- worked out yeah there has been and there's been some um happily ever after stories and i guess that's just human nature isn't it two people that went in there as a donor or a recipient and maybe not weren't thinking that and then it just fell, you know. I mean, I guess people meet in the most peculiar, unexpected ways. And um, Yeah, you just never know. You just lightning strikes. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess some people have walls up and some people don't. You know, some people just live day to day and see what comes into their life the very next day. Do you have clear expectations of being as a, as a donor like do you have set boundaries that you have in place that you go these are rules or laws that i put on myself that i'm not going to overstep a guideline that you you walk yeah yeah i think it's really important to have some boundaries in place and some idea of what your 
what's okay, what isn't okay, and and how you want to interact with someone. And because certain women, you know, call it needy or whatever it is, it's not a, it's it sounds judgmental. I don't, I don't mean to judge them, but as human beings, we all can be needy. We have needs. It's at some and some of them, especially if they go through something like pregnancy, it's very there's a lot of emotional upheaval and and a woman going through pregnancy, it's such a vulnerable space to be in and such a raw kind of energy birthing something into the world that you you a woman needs support. She does need that. So there's I don't I'm not saying that as a judgment at all. I think I think being pregnant is a is a beautiful thing and being receptive is a, is a beautiful thing um however just in terms of my inputs you know I, I can't be there for someone like like a partner would be there for them so there has to be some boundaries where i'm not there i, I can't just hear every detail of their pregnancy journey that's just too much it's like i have my own life so there's, there's got to be boundaries in how how we relate to each other but it's not you know, sometimes it's not like black and white. It's just like adjust that according to how, how you're feeling. You know, for me, I can be quite detached if it's someone who just uh, comes and, you know, I just fill up a plastic plastic cup and 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 we, we're not there to have like a deep and meaningful conversation or anything like that. So for, for me, I'm okay with that. And it doesn't, you know, I'm, I'm happy with that. It's part of the universal law. Uh, however, it does. Yeah, you know, I would say it can become complex when, when, when people become sort of uh, inappropriate. Like I, I actually forgot about that, but just thinking about that, there was someone who was a bit inappropriate, and I couldn't talk about understand. It. I couldn't quite understand like what, like what <laughs> she was talking about, and she just got like really angry, and I was just like, I'm just a donor. Like I don't know what you're angry about. Like <laughs> it was something like. She was like, "Are you commit? Are you willing to do to travel to wherever it was, Gold Coast, I think?" And I was kind of like, "Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll, I guess I'm, I'm." And then she was like, "You just said I guess, so you're not willing." And I said, "No, I am. I am willing. I am willing <laughs> to do it." And she said, "No, you're not committed." And I was <laughs> like, "Well, if I'm not the donor for you, then." go to someone else like what but she made it into a big drama like she was getting angry with me and i'm like i don't know why you're getting angry like i'm offering you as a donor like what's there to be angry about it <laughs> and then i think she contacted contacted you and i was like <laughs> it, was, it all got a bit of crazy and i didn't really understand because and maybe that's just because um when you have these facebook messenger conversations or whatever things things you know emotions can get heated and misunderstandings happen and it just it's it happens it happens and it's better if we actually sit have a conversation face to face and see if there's a connection see that that's the best way to to resolve these kind of issues it, it can get pretty funny out there i mean to me that was a perfect example of self-sabotage like you know she was lining you up to travel you sort of gave the answer that you were interested but because you couldn't say yes what's the pl flight number i'm on board now i'm boarding i'm heading to the heading straight to the airport like it just seemed like she blew it all up soon you know as quick as it started yeah i would say she had quite a lot of 
a lot going on and, and mixed feelings about it and and probably it is, it is a vulnerable position and she probably uh she probably didn't know how to deal with that and and that was her way of uh dealing with all those emotions all that emotional upheaval was to was to do that but definitely there was a self-sabotage because it was you know she didn't really want someone you know it was kind of you have to if you're receptive there's an energy of receptivity and that wasn't there that could wasn't you, there at all could you say maybe it's a, a, an element of maybe rejection in her life and that was her defense mechanism of rather than uh being rejected she was the sort of the person that like went on the front foot and ended it you know before she thought she could could have potentially got rejected because you know, you didn't give her a clear, it wasn't like, you know, the, oh, yeah, I guess I can come, like, you know, more details, please, pretty much. But, like, she just read that and went, Shh, and then put a stop to it and dis- and was destructive about it. Yeah, I think that's that's really perceptive of you. And, and so much of these kind of conflicts and uh, exchanges happen with, with old wounds coming up and these emotions that haven't been resolved coming up. So... Absolutely, there. There's a sense of rejection, and like I'm not gonna get, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna let someone reject me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get them first. So, um, yeah, hundred percent, something like that was happening with her, where definitely there was a wound, a wound beneath her, her behavior. If putting a few children out on this planet, nothing excessive. I think you've helped a couple of people within the group and a couple at clinics, uh, which we'll touch on later. But what is your arrangement? You know, do you just hand the cup over and you don't want to know anything about it? Do you want to know if they are born? Do you, do you want updates? What Where do you draw the line in terms of uh, that peace of mind that they're out there? I, I guess I have a bit, little bit of a middle ground approach where it depends on the on the woman involved in her her psyche, because some people are in a partnership, they're in a couple, whatever it is, and they're not looking for someone. They're not. There's no gap for them. They have a secure and stable relationship, and and the donor is just helping them, and that's it. There's, there's a clear boundary. Some people, who, especially someone who's alone, is in a more vulnerable position. I'd say, and they're more. They need a little bit of support, and they need to share a little bit, and. I'm I'm happy to share what I'm I'm not happy to share too much. So I have to sort of draw draw a sort of middle ground where I do want to hear occasional updates. I'm happy to hear that. But I, I don't want to hear like every week, you know, this happened or that happened, because then it it becomes too much. So I wouldn't say there's a hard and fast rule or like an absolute answer, like um I never want to hear from this from this life or I want to hear every day from this life. It's just for me, like an anniversary, something special. Then, I, then I feel connected and good. That that's enough for me, but but not too much. So just the, the middle ground. So what about these children? They become adults. They see what you do, and they re- you know you donor child disciples. They reach out to you, <laughs> and they want to learn the ways of you know. Their biological father. What do you, what do you say to that? Well, I guess uh, when that I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. But, um, I, I think everyone's got to, is going to have an individual and unique experience, and it's 
we'll, we'll have to do this podcast in 20 years and then maybe I'll have some stories to share at this point. I, I, it's too early in, in my journey to share any stories of that. Uh, and I think legally speaking, when uh, people reach the age of 18, they're allowed access to uh, information about their father. So that's the current law in Australia. You, you can find information on your father. But what they do with that is is up to them. And, and uh, it is a great question. It's hard to answer this from this point of, from this point of view. And it's also going to be logistically depending on where people are living and how far away they are and what their feeling is. Perhaps they just want a phone call. Perhaps they have, uh, I'm sure some of them will have questions or I always wanted to know where my father came from. I always wanted to know um, why I, I feel this way or why I'm I'm good at this and not good at that. So I'm sure there'll be a lot of curiosity and um Every suggestion will be unique. So I think really the happier the happier person is in their own family and the more secure the most the more secure they are within their family, I think the less they're gonna want to kind of have you in their life as like a father figure. So that's where it can get complicated if someone's looking for a father figure and um, if I have like uh, 20 people looking for a father figure, then I'm gonna be really busy. <laughs> so how do you you know have you ever been in awkward situations have you ever had women approach you for natural insemination what's your experience been like in, in that sort of area yeah i would say it's a very awkward uh position and and you know it's i did have a, i did have someone in fact so i i felt i felt like oh my god like really um yeah, so I, I because I agreed to it, I was kind of like, all right, I agreed to it, I'm going to do this. And it wasn't comfortable for me at all. And I would say just be, yeah, be be really mindful of that awkwardness because because that is just a very awkward thing to 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 meet someone when who you haven't met before, and it and it's just like, all right, okay, we're getting pregnant. It, it's not for everyone. Definitely not for everyone. <laughs> yeah, no, it's um, it's interesting how you know everyone's got different ideas of how they're going to ch- create the children or expectations or you know wants and needs or and all that. So yeah, it's just it's everyone's different. That's the thing. That's that's the. It's all about navigating that and finding that person who is on that same level or that same comfort level or has that time to put more, I guess, effort into getting to know people and, and being, I don't know, all those traits out there that make people generally connect with each other. Yeah. And it's kind of like we're talking about connection and rapport and being on the same wavelength. And it's, it's not just the tangible things. It's more the intangible things. And so much, so much of communication is, is nonverbal hand gestures it's someone's energy as well. This is an energetic component, component that's really important. Uh, but meeting someone like who is really a stranger, it's, it's. Um, I would say have a conversation first. At least talk to them uh, on the phone before you sort of engage uh, physically with them. Uh, establish some rapport and, and and make sure you you're comfortable with that. Because that, that <laughs> I don't know that I would jump into something like that before. I did. 
I did have something I, I did meet before who had this holiday idea and decided when she got here she didn't actually want to get pregnant anymore. So, um, yeah, so people have all sorts of um, ideas. And I guess being a holiday vacation, people have a sort of romantic holiday lined up for themselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it does sound like paradise, doesn't it? Um, what about human instincts? You know, is there... Whereas technically uh, an evolved, I guess, um, animal species, where does that come into play with all this? In terms of fertility or? Yeah, fertility and uh, something built with us, for most of us to procreate. But like in terms of, you know, do we, you know, do we read when women are fertile? Do you know, like, is there something that draws men to them at this, t- at this that stage? You know, what's the general concept because there's so much we don't know about it but there's just seems to be animal instincts out there which are like six senses in a way yeah and i feel like the animal instinct is a is a sixth sense and often we sort of overlook it or or think or think we're not animals and think we don't have animal drives or think that animal drives are bad you know there's a lot of judgment around just just things that are natural and I think there is a sort of philosophical element here of, of looking down on nature, suppressing nature, and particularly like the Eurocentric viewpoint of like slashing nature. And we see it in our economies and how things work, cutting, cutting through rainforests and things like that. Um, so there's a lot of levels you, you can look at that. There, there's definitely a in Chinese medicine is a vital force and Chinese medicine have, has a lot of beautiful answers about fertility and this vitality, this chi, this, this elixir, this sort of unnameable. I, I love the Chinese because it's also mysterious. It's always like the Tao is unnameable and indescribable. Like it, it, I love that. And there is a, there is an essence, there is a, vitality and and that so much of society or, or how things have worked has, has removed us from our natural um from being vital being vitally having a high um chi basically so i like this word chi because it chi is is what the fertility energy is it's it's like it's the the chi it's a vital force and it's something unseen and it's something that you can't quite uh, you can't quite put your finger on it. It's like an electrical force of consciousness that is moving around our bodies. And if it's flowing, then then we are going to be fertile generally. But it's like, you know, if it, you're planting a seed, it needs a fertile ground. It needs a fertile environment. It needs water. It needs warmth. It needs um, all the nutrients. So, um, I mean, the body's like... I mean, it's not the same as like planting a tree, but it's, it works in a similar way. I mean, it's kind of like to plant a sperm and an egg, it, you need that environment that's going to be harmonious It's for life. It's going to be receptive for life. So there's a lot of physical elements in, in, in this life force energy or chi, and definitely we can feel it. And you can see it in a person who has a lot of energy, you know, just someone who has a lot of energy. Well, that's, that's chi, and that's often going to be related to their to their fertility. And you can just feel some people are more fertile than others. 
Maybe you just feel they more have more spark, more energy. Someone's look, you know, their body looks really tired. Their energy is really tired, lethargic. Um, that's going to indicate probably they they're not very fertile. So there are, there's certain things that we can instinctually feel. Uh, but I feel like even just like, you know, we know that youth is like the strongest element in fertility is basically youth. So, so that's pretty sort of, um, it's just sort of mathematical. It's just like your age is, is an important element too in, in, in this discussion. Do you meet people and you walk away from that experience with that conclusion that your, your instinct has told you, are they fertile or they're not fertile? Like you, do you get that feeling a lot? Yeah. Yeah. I can definitely feel, uh, I can definitely feel it. And, um, there's a yeah sometimes I can, I'm conscious of it like because I'm and I think it's just how my body is responding or if I see someone and there's like oh my god like you can you can just you know you can just yeah you can just feel it I would say definitely I mean we've and, touched we've touched off air before um about statistics of rape and when that seems to occur like on a, on a more general consensus is that you know that that's another probably instinctual thing yeah well definitely uh men are going to target the there's a reason they're going to target someone and not another person and there's there's some there's some drive that is going to be triggered in their brain and that what i was mentioning to you was about ovulation so Ovulation is 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 a statistically speaking is, is going to make someone more, or the people who are raped are statistically speaking more likely to be ovulating. Put it that way. So, it it does, and that's proof that there is an energy that men are picking up on, and whatever they're doing with that is is you know depends on their their own uh, drives and tendencies. But it is a real uh, that that ovulation is something that men are feeling. And and that makes sense because we're, we're we're animals and we're going to respond to pheromones or whatever it is we are going to pick up on something uh, in a woman who's who's fertile who is ovulating. I remember being in nightclubs when I was younger and you'd go to the toilet and they have like this dispenser machine and in the corner it had condoms and the one next to it was like a thing called pheromones which that's tell you to like a little like a it's like a like a one of those kfc little or takeaway you know ones um, in perfume or something like that and you just dab yourself around and obviously it's obviously people think they put it on there and, and they'll pick up but i mean pheromones like you know animals have pheromones we, we talk about that in 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 the animal kingdom i guess but like what is pheromones is it your sweat is it what your body puts out there and so you um when you're around them you can say they'll naturally smell them um, without really knowing computing saying oh that person's ovulating or that person's fertile or that person's a good match or that one's healthy or that one's not healthy I believe pheromones are given out through the sweat glands and there's different parts of the body where they're, they're active. Um, and I don't think it's just one part of the body, but it's like, it, it's a chemical, it's basically a chemical and those chemicals are, are given out in your, in your sweat. Um, so it's coming out of your body and wherever your sweat glands are, those pheromones are going to be expressed as far as, as far as I know. So, 
I mean, there's not just like one point of your body where where that's gonna those pheromones are gonna be released, but it's also gonna come out. It's gonna come out of your pores. It's gonna come. It's gonna be expressed like a like a vital force energy that is like um. It's, it wouldn't be a single part of your body that's that's going to have all the pheromones. With your, you know, you're a spiritual guide, a healer, a coach, a physiotherapist, and a counselor, and as well as an artist. Uh, and I'm sure there's many other things that we could mention as well. Um, you know, what does your particular service provide, and who who do you mainly like? Who mainly comes to you, and what 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 sort of guidance, or you know, where 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 does the amount of your work pass out to to people in this this field? Well, I've done a lot of different things, and, and definitely like qigong and and meditation are really something close to my heart because it's just it's kind of, you get a tangible result from just sitting in meditation, uh, calm your mind. But qigong is something you can do in nature, and so I've taught a lot of classes in in nature. Um, where you connect to nature, you connect to the space around you, you connect to yourself through your breath, through your movement. So that's that's really powerful. And I, I'm a writer as well, so I write a lot of stuff, put it out there in the world. And um, in terms of healing, I, I, I always, for me, just because I'm eclectic, I don't have like one way to work, I, 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 I'm very holistic, so I'm working on different levels. And I can work more on a sort of conscious and subconscious level, which is called the mind, or I can work on an energetic level or a physical level. So there are all these layers, and we like we like an onion. We have all these layers, and there's different approaches. You can um, look at any particular problem or any particular challenge. So I kind of have tended to sort of approach it from different angles, not just one angle, and I guess... In a way, maybe that's, I wouldn't say I'm unique, but in a way that's the unique way I work is that I'm not just looking at it from one angle. I, I can look at it from different angles. I've done a lot of body work as well, so physical therapy, so and even sort of tantric body work, which is a very interesting de-armoring and, and how people relate to, 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 their, own, to their own bodies because there's a lot of shame and guilt um we all we all carry and collective energies as well as individual levels of of guilt and shame and so i've worked on a, a tantric level which is something really interesting um yeah through the body work so yeah different different approaches and i can sort of put on different hats depending on the moment i mean the word tantric sounds Interesting. I mean, could you elaborate on that? Like, what would be tantric? You know, if, what would someone come to you and say, "All right, I need to work on my my tantric side." What would, <laughs> what would that involve? I think it's like one of these things. Like the same with Tao. Like it's the word that has no description. <laughs> <laughs> the word that has no has a meaning, but no meaning. It's an essence, but it's not an essence. It's emptiness, but it's it's not empty. So, you know, tantric, I always think of as energetic. So that's what I relate tantric to. But there is a an Indian uh, tantric tradition from the Vajrayana yoga schools and these yogic ashrams. And so you can go to India and study tantra, which will probably be more of a yoga. It will be a tantric yoga. 
then you also get like a Kundalini yoga, which is also really interesting. So tantric uh, or tantric, it's it's got a certain uh, energy to it. And I think of it as energy, but definitely to understand the masculine and the feminine is, is probably central to what Tantra is about because Tantra is a, really about embracing masculine and feminine and then transcending it. So the, the spiritual point of view is to use the, use the physical uh, sexual drive to transcend and move into up the chakras from the base chakras of the spine up to the crown chakra and beyond. So opening up your physical self into a cosmic self and having so using your physical self to move into a cosmic self. So Tantra has the, a very sort of um, transformative quality to it that we're not we're not rejecting our bodies, we're not uh, judging them. We're saying our bodies are sacred or beautiful. We're part of nature. We have a masculine and feminine. We're here to embrace and uh, feel our masculine and feminine, express our masculine and feminine. And by doing so, we will connect to the creator. So it, it's a very strong, I, I find it a very strong philosophy because it's all about energy. Do you feel or do the energies that you associate with and teach, can this help with fertility? Do you feel like? Yeah, well, I feel like Qigong is a very powerful uh, practice for promoting uh, fertility and the Chinese have so many uh, have such a big interest in fertility so they're they're very interested in vitality the life force longevity um, and so there's a lot of practices um, that, that within that tradition but it definitely it comes down to stress so stress is like the big it's like the big sort of block <laughs> to fertility so the greatest block to fertility is stress so how to deal with stress there's so many there's so many layers there's so many ways there's emotional stress physical stress uh, nutritional stress so absolutely sometimes just uh the counseling element guiding someone through what they're going through helping them to understand it uh that can be quite transformative in terms of fertility because it's i mean ultimately anything you can do to reduce stress is going to help you uh, get pregnant i mean i've seen some female coaches and people on the internet and they're getting their period and they're putting it all over their face and their body and talking about their womb and the cycle and the full moons and and all that sort of that sort of stuff being a, a coach and a healer and being in this this field of work with social media now, it's allowed everyone sort of to give, uh, just pop up and, and have their own platform. What's the difference between um, an experienced or good healer or a coach, in your opinion? Uh, you know, have you been on people's teachings yourself and and learnt or went, went away from it and didn't feel that it meted the expectation that you were expecting? You know, how, how does someone navigate wanting to get more involved in this? I, I think feeling a personal connection and intuitively uh, call it attract, be, feel attracted or just intuitively feel this will be good for me is the most important element, trusting yourself. But 
there's a lot of people out there, a lot of charlatans, a lot of people just selling stuff. And it, it it's a very commercial environment. So for me, I, I have been to trainings where people weren't that authentic and um, they, they wanted, you know, they was just, they wanted to sell something. Uh, so authenticity is, is a big element. Uh, but it is it is so personal, and there isn't always there isn't necessarily a wrong or right because it, nowadays it's just we have multiplicity. We have like so many different paths. It's really finding what resonates with you, and if it doesn't work for you, then try try another path. And there's really such an abundance of, of possibilities uh, in terms of education, learning new things, in terms of different teachers. Uh, so it's less of a like a realm where I think if you go back, you know, a couple of hundred years, there was like one guru who had his following and then find your guru. But now we just have so many, I don't know if you call them gurus, so many speakers, authors, coaches. And the, the idea in this age is, is self-empowerment. So for everyone to become empowered, so they don't need a guru. They're actually independently autonomous. They, they're able to speak their truth, be healed, release emotion, become the best version of themselves possible. So that, that's the kind of trajectory we're on as a society, as a community nowadays. Um, and it's less about who you follow and more about kind of checking in with yourself and building up yourself. So if someone is too sort of, I would say, has this sort of like they're on a pedestal that's also something to be wary of uh but i've i've i've, I've known there was one teacher the tantric teacher and she she was not present at all she just was not there wow she's going, she's so you going through you went on a course was, with her yeah yeah okay no, yeah i'd love to hear about this because like i would probably love to explore some courses and all that stuff eventually because it's something that definitely intrigues me. But obviously, yeah, tell us, you said it wasn't, she wasn't quite there. So you went into it, you know, with your eyes open and then found out she wasn't there or did, you know, did she have a facade on that made her appear that she was on the, that pedestal or, yeah, what, what's the go? It wasn't so much about being a pedestal. It was just kind of a little bit fake, not really authentic and I, I knew what was going on because she was um she was sharing a room with the two there were two male teachers and her and she was sleeping with both of them and there was a lot of personal dynamics and confusion she was going through and so I could see exactly what was going on but as someone participating in the course she didn't make eye contact with me once and I spoke to other people and they said she doesn't even look at me she's not she's not there she kind of, there was such a storm in her personal life and that was affecting her energetically so much Just being with two men. Um, it, it wasn't working as a, as a teacher for her to bring out the, you know, the life force of the teachings. It, it wasn't there. Uh, however, those, those two men, they were great. They were sort of, they were there. They were there. So those two teachers were there. So, um, uh, that was just really interesting because that was a tantric training and that was dealing with very, very sensitive kind of stuff. And mm. um, yeah, very, you know, a lot of emotional trauma coming up and just the, you know, for me, like I'm not, a, I don't know that much about polyamory, but that, that idea of having multiple 
partners is, is very complicated. It seems to be very raw from what I, from what I can tell. But it's just interesting being exposed to that kind of energy and watching it and seeing those dynamics kind of from a bit of a distance and, and wondering about it. Um, yeah. So was her being in this polyamory with two other coaches teaching like a ten, tantric course, I guess, and she wasn't there, do you feel that the male coaches identified that in a way or do you feel that she was sort of lost herself in, in the situation that she was in but then was trying to, you know, obviously coach it but wasn't there to do it? Like where was, you know, what was the part that, yeah, like all the bits that broke it down? Yeah, I would say I would say that summed it up very well that she lost herself in the, in the chaos of the relationship and she was, she did have a sort of primary boyfriend or partner who was the who was one of the teachers and he and that relationship was was kind of coming to an end and so I witnessed the, those kind of um, her screaming at him and it was just kind of like not appropriate for for a teacher who's supposed to be like teaching you like this is the way to live life to be so you know so unsettled and, and screaming at the guy and it was quite a, it was just a bit crazy, I would say, but she wasn't present because of all the turbulence in her personal life. And I mean, I totally understand that. It was just like, I was kind of the fly on the wall, like what's going on with this? Like, and um, polyamory is, yeah, it's, it's a very intriguing thing. And as I said, I don't have a lot of personal experience in, in that manner. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've done a, a podcast episode uh, oh, six months ago now, I believe. Uh, it was polygy, pol polygamy ambitions, and um, and the alpha male, which was <laughs> quite a, an interesting perspective. That you know, people are now looking for something different. I guess I don't know if it's because they just had so many sexual partners from dating apps, uh, or they want to have a more system and check where it's they're regularly checking in with, you know, whatever amount of people that they want to rotate through their lives. And it's sort of one of those ones that's hard to navigate. And, I mean, I'm not sure, you know, like I've seen some internet stories of, you know, women sleeping with free men and then they don't know who the actual father is but they don't care either and they're all raising these children, you know, children up. I mean, um, yeah, now there. I, I mean, I, I just because I have a little, a few friendships and a little bit of interaction with them that side of things, that community. And I, I found it to be really messy and the women seem to be a bit broken and sort of going, oh, yeah, I'm so happy. And you're like, no, you're not. And um, I'm sure it can work with certain people, but uh, in my experience, it's you're dealing with a lot of compost and it's very messy and there's a lot of jealousy. And But as I said, I mean, if that's something you you want to explore, then go for it. it it's like for me, I'm a little bit more of a sensitive person, so I, I have, I find that a little bit more challenging, just because I'm a bit more sensitive. But if you're, you know, if you're just fine with with that, that's great. I've just seen people who who were clearly suffering, and they said they thought it worked intellectually. They thought it worked for them, but I could see like clearly that doesn't work for you. And and I mean the training I went for instance, just to give you. Uh, just to give you a picture, like the stuff that goes on in these kind of <laughs> training, the 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 main the main sort of teacher, the main sort of guru, or whatever you want to call him, 
Like one day I was walking past and I saw him having sex with someone with, and it was like he there was an open window and the curtains were up and so then like it was just open and I was like and and I was like embrace so his philosophy was like embrace sexuality. I've got nothing to hide, which is kind of great. It just was kind of like I I didn't get to make that choice of seeing that. That was just like I didn't have a choice. And really I didn't want to see the guy he's like 65, 70 years old or whatever. Like I didn't really want to see that. Like Is this what happens at Port Douglas? Is <laughs> this is like uh tantric tantric training. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, look, it's 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 interesting. I mean, okay. like there is a place in Port Douglas where that happens. It's um, Turtle Cove, so that's known for the crazy parties. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's quite a famous place, uh, Turtle Cove. Okay, and well, it's a beautiful beach, and they have yeah, it's very rainbow. They have a lot of um, interesting events, and it's it's very LGBTQ friendly. Oh yeah, nice. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I mean, there's so much stuff going on in the world. I, I, I'm, I didn't know about that that place. Um, but yeah, no, it's 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 just fascinating. Um, so tell us about your IVF experience uh, going to clinics. Uh, you've been to a couple of them in WA, and you've been to Israel. Which one came first? And yeah, well. Mate, is there a difference between between these clinical environment settings? Well, the different countries, so they're, they're, you know, there's, there's certain differences that naturally arise, but essentially like the process of doing your blood, doing, you know, doing sperm motility and then looking at the sperm on screen and meeting with doctors and having all the tests done. And, um, and then essentially you need to donate, you know, like they need a certain amount of, sperm so some of them like the one in the one in perth they i think it was 20 donations or something like that so there's quite a lot so you really need to commit to that because it was like i think once i think the maximum i could do was twice a week or something like that so it would take you at least i i would say at least four months um so it's, it's a serious commitment in terms of like you know, you really donate a lot to the clinics. Um, but essentially they're pretty they're pretty good with boundaries, with making you feel comfortable, giving you space. Um, so so I, I had good good experiences with clinics and I think the whole medical world, you know, everything's sort of like just your blood test, oh that's your sperm, and very kind of neutral energy, which which is good. I think it, I think it's quite good with with that kind of, you know, in that kind of realm that it's that it's quite neutral and and the doctors you meet are very sort of, you know, just approachable and and uh, sort of normal normal about it and appreciative as well. So when you donated in Israel, was that just for one lady, or did they end up collecting your sperm for you know to send out to different families in in Israel? That was just for one person who went through the IVF process. So that was like just, I think, I think three or four samples or whatever it was. Um, but for the clinic in Perth, they required a lot more because I think they, I think they offer it, you know, they have different, um, different women, different couples who come in 
And so you're not just dealing with one person. The the clinics in um, WA, I, I believe you donated in a couple. You know, what was this many years ago or was this like um, recent or, you know, like how's, you know, we just like see the systems that they have in place these days. It was a few years ago. Uh, I'm trying to remember the exact year, but I, I think we're about 2016 yep. around around that time. And when when you donate at two clinics, do they you know do they want you know do they do any is there is there a system in place that goes oh hey our system says that you've already been at this clinic or is it just you just come in fill out a bit of paperwork and then just do do your business and that's it? Well, talking about business, I think they operate like as a as a business. So you fill out the paperwork and then and then donate. They do all the blood tests or whatever. But because they function as a business, they're not sort of government. There's no sort of government network. And so, yeah, they, they weren't really looking at the other clinic. And I don't think they would engage with the other clinic because it's kind of, I, I would think the other clinic is kind of competition. Mm. I mean, like it makes sense because they want to, you know, it's, for them it's business. They've got a guy that's got good sperm. He's coming in. He's donating. They're not going to go, hang on, let's go check this other clinic to see if he's donated there because they're effectively, you know, getting rid of all the work that they've just created and spent money or time collecting it off you and, and putting it in vials in the freezer ready to give it to people. Yeah, exactly. There, there, there's a business element, you know, they're running they're running a business and and there is a shortage of Australian sperm donors. So the fact that you come in there and meet with them, they they kind of have a sort of a happy, you know, they're happy to see you because uh, you're helping them, and so there is a there is a sort of you are sort of welcomed into the fold, and they and if you have good sperm, they'll look they'll look on the screen. The doctor will check out your sperm, give you all the tests, and if they're satisfied that you 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 know they can tick all the boxes, then then they're really happy to have you. You're kind of an, an asset for them. Do you feel that you go in there, and I know it's it's dedicating time, but do you feel that from the media perspective, or you know the way that they portray themselves out to the media, or you know to they they sell themselves to recipients, is that they like to feel like they're protected and they've got you know they've got them and they've got systems in place and everything's that, but essentially, like any business, they cut corners to to make profits. Yeah, well, I th well, I think you're you're getting into like DNA and genetics, and and maybe, you know, maybe they could do like more personality tests or more, you know, like more like really like find out who who your <clears throat> who your donor is and get more specificity. Um, but I think definitely that there is a profit motive. But I mean, what are your you know what are you worried about when you when you're receiving someone's sperm? Like, I guess it's their genetic lineage. So uh, it could be more genetic driven where they, they look at your lineage and see what kind of tendencies. But I think all of us carry something and, you know, our grandfather, you know, had this, our great, you know, we, we have something in our ancestry that if somebody was sick, someone, you know, someone had a mental illness. I, I don't think anyone really, so there is a risk. I think just life is risky. So whoever, whoever's your father there's going to be some something in his ancestry and and genetics is is so i mean it's kind of like the luck of the draw as well it's just like even in 
in sperm, there's so many sperm, like which one uh, you're only mm. going to get one of them that's going to that's going to conceive you're only going to get one sperm out of thousands or whatever it is millions so uh you know what what's that you know if there's a million sperm and you only one of them is going to sort of win win the race um it's a good sign if it's won the race you know it's a good sign maybe it's healthier than the other sperm faster than the other sperm uh, but essentially, uh, I think you're getting at like ancestry and man, you know, I don't know exactly what checks and balances they do, but definitely they look at congenital diseases and they do, they do look into that. If you, if you have, you're carrying certain uh, diseases, um, they, they're going to, they're going to, that is going to come up. Do they look at your personal like diet, like what you intake, whether or not no, you're. No, there's nothing like, they don't go that detail, nothing about your diet, no. Because I, you know, I had a, a conversation or have lots of conversations, but like had one freshly yesterday or today. I can't remember. So, so many. But anyway, well, oh, she was talking about her IVF doctor and IVF doctor said, look, um, you know, we want you to pick a younger donor. We want you to pick a young donor and that'll give you the best chance. And I said to her, look, my sperm when I was younger was worse in terms of volume in terms of um motility in terms of being more more functional and you know my statistics now being health more health conscious uh knowing the right foods to eat uh are way more focused in 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 being healthy that my sperm now is more healthy than i was when i was in my 20s and so the thing is, when you go to these places and these doctors are recommending young guys, you know, you don't, they don't look into what your diet is. You know, you could have gone there as a young guy or you could go there as an older guy and totally be on totally different levels of um, diet and what you're putting in your body. Yeah, well, diet is one thing, but the alcohol and drugs are, are a big, big factor, which I think you're kind of referring to there. Um, yeah, absolutely. So age, I mean, age is, um, just, you know, just in terms of statistics with men and women, age is a factor, particularly particularly for women, but for men as well, you know, into their 50s, 60s, the men are, men are getting less fertile, obviously. Um, so, so it is a factor that, you know, you can be 40 and be like super healthy and top of your game. So if you eat right, exercise, do all the, all the health conscious things, then absolutely your your sperm can still be good to go. And I mean, I met with someone, for instance, and like, um, okay, we had like one one interaction and and she was pregnant like that. So it can just be if you get the right ovulation time, then then you know you can just it can just happen really quickly with fertility. But definitely, you know, if you're healthy, the healthier you are, usually the more fertile you are, but age is a, is a factor. So, so, I mean, that's where doctors are looking at just sort of statistics. And it's like, you know, life isn't lived in statistics. Mm. Yeah, well, that's the thing. There's, you know, there might be just as many unhealthy 40-year-olds that are donated in the clinic as well, so it balances out. But when you actually have the chance of picking a known donor, you get to you know, have these conversations with them, like how, you know, where, what are your values lie in terms of what are, what are you putting in your body? Yeah, that's absolutely true that, that it's completely anonymous and random. If you go to a clinic and, and um, 
there's just so much anonymity or at least this way you you get to choose you know do i want an artist do i want an alpha male do i want a you know an athlete do i want a you know what are my highest priorities what are my highest values uh what kind of you know what kind of man am i looking for you know but if a guy's you know healthy then then i think definitely into into your 40s you can still be pretty you know putting out good good sperm uh i mean it's just kind of individual you get someone who's an elite athlete still at 40 whereas someone else is 30 and they're kind of washed up so um alcohol and and drugs are also a big factor with the um the two clinics that you donate in WA, do you you know we won't go into them and name names and and shout them out, but like, do you find that now that you've gone there, you've been there, they've got your product, they've distributed it, you know, like, does was one better than giving feedback? Like, do they email you and say, hey, you've had a, a live birth from from here, or you know, like, is there a difference between the two in terms of updating you as such? So, so ne- there was no communication from either of them. So there's a there's a sort of there's a really strong anonymity to it. So I come in sort of I'm not really their clients, but other people are clients. They're paying a lot of money, and people sometimes are like, you know, getting get you know getting a mortgage or like getting what do you call it like remortgaging their house their house and using their life savings on the, on the, on fertility. It's a really huge industry in Australia. So. People are spending thousands and thousands. So anonymity is really like incredibly important. Um, I did get one message, which which was from one of the clinics, which was a letter sent by uh, a mother of 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 a daughter. So that was really touching because it was. They just said, "Oh, this is really lovely, and we just wanted to share it with you because it seemed really special." And this person really wanted to thank you. So. I, I found that really moving and the fact that someone was getting in touch with me. In, in what what, what do they do? They contacted your email, did they? Yeah, Is they that... sent it by email and I think it was either they scanned, they scanned the letter or maybe, I think they scanned the letter. I can't remember actually, but I got the letter. They just took out all the contact details or whatever it was. So I just saw a letter basically thanking me. And and did they was it recent or was this a few years ago or you know what's the what's the situation with the some of these kids now might be six six years old potentially yeah this was a couple of years ago so um, as you say they they could be five six I, I don't really know yeah so um, maybe <laughs> maybe in thirteen years I'll, I'll find out. It's going to be interesting. I mean, you could potentially have 10 families in, in WA that, you know, one day you might come across and, you know, do you have any aspirations of going back in Perth now or is Port Douglas your, your place? Well, uh, you know, I do enjoy travel, so let, let's see how things go. Um, <laughs> I, I don't I don't have a straight answer for you. And, and in terms of families, uh, I would say, you know, it's there probably would be one or two who would want to get in touch with me. But, I don't think everyone would want to get in touch with me and maybe they just want to have a phone call, have a, ask a few questions. Uh, and I'm sure everyone will be different. Definitely. As a person that looks at health, what is your opinion on freezing sperm? Do you feel that there is a, is there a degradation? 
do you feel that fresh sperm would be more ideal in, in normal circumstances? Like what, what's your sort of opinion in, in that aspect? It's a great question because I believe in the life force and I believe there's something in this life force, this vitality, this chi. And like the longer you freeze it for, it's going to lose a bit of that vitality. So uh, something that's alive is, is going to have that, that, that energy. Um, and, I'm, you know, I'm not an expert in IVF or anything, anything like that, but I'm always a bit suspicious in over-processing or over, you know, when, when things are just seem a bit unnatural because I always think the closest we get to nature is where, you know, we're going to get the best results. Mm, I concur. Is there any religious beliefs in sperm, like being a sperm donor? Is there any negative impacts in religion in terms of looking upon sperm donors? Yeah, well, people have a lot of judgments and, and I think we all carry some judgment and it's just like, just look into yourself, like how you judge other people. And um, we're all kind of in this human experience together and we breathe the same air. So we're not ultimately all that different. And often we think we're different and that's the problem. We don't have conversations with people uh, to like reveal like who we are authentically. We think We think we have to sort of pretend to be something and we're all actually pretty similar. So, um, but definitely people have judgments and that's up to them. I, it's, I don't really get overly involved in, in people's religious doctrines, but certain religions have rules and certain religions do frown upon something like IVF. Um, but that's kind of up, up to, up to those religions and yeah, just up to them. Well, David, it was very enlightening speaking to you today i've sort of got my mind thinking about a lot of uh stuff that in, into your world it's you know obviously it's we could talk for hours and, and and hours and hours to try and um get me up to any sort of you know level of <laughs> understanding it fully but i mean it's 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 very insightful so i appreciate you coming on the show i appreciate you sharing your experiences and what you know your life journey in, in a sense and then how it's correlated with um also adding sperm donating into it also and yeah so i appreciate that and i would you know where would people come to find you obviously you're on sperm donation australia the podcast will have uh links to uh all your sort of social media and that so they can find you but you know you want to give a shout out to where they can sort of find you or um, if they're interested in your coaching and like what they heard today you know, what they can sign up for and or where they may find you in the world? Yeah, well, you could search on my name. I do have a YouTube channel, which uh, which I'm going to add some more videos. I do like a weekly class. I do like meditation classes. A lot of the stuff is actually offered. Uh, so if people do want to get into touch, get in touch, they can go to my website, go to the YouTube channel, the website is starmentalhealth.com, starmentalhealth.com. And the YouTube channel is just my name, David Starlight. So um, that's a good place, the YouTube channel. It, uh, if you just search on my name, you can kind of find me online, articles and all sorts of things, God knows. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, it's an interesting world out there. And thanks for making this episode quite interesting in a unique way as well. We haven't had many male coaches come in and and share their their insights so thank you very much and uh we'll stay in touch 
Yeah, well, thank you so much, Adam. It's been a lot of fun for me. Likewise. See ya.